Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today, I am joined by Tino Mantella. He is the CEO of TurkNet Leadership Group, and this company is doing the things that you are going to want to learn about because we're talking about leadership. We're talking about a business that is helping other businesses and entrepreneurs really figure out that leadership challenge that is within their businesses. So we're going to get into that a little bit, but we're definitely going to dive into the entrepreneurial story. Uh, but first, I want to say hello to you, Tino. Welcome to the show. Hey, Lance. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the opportunity. and It's great to be here. So, Tino, I like to start out right off the hop with a question that just gets us right into the weeds on what are some good actionable advice for entrepreneurs. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you what, in your opinion, would be three things that every entrepreneur really needs to know? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And uh, I've had the opportunity over the years, I ran the Technology Association of Georgia, and uh, that became the largest tech trade association in North America with 36,000 members. And a lot of them were entrepreneurs. And I got to see the entrepreneurs that really had, uh, I'll say, their act together. And I say that really respectfully. Um, and then those that, you know, had an idea, but it maybe wasn't ready for prime time. So I think the first thing is, you know, have something that you really have done your research on that you feel like it's it's going to make a difference to people. Uh, today, everybody's purpose driven, uh, making sure there's a purpose for you, something that you know, you're excited about, but also do enough testing that, you know, it's it's a market that's it's open. And then, you know, secondly, I think for the entrepreneurs, a lot of times I've seen where they have uh, a skill set, like uh, we're right next to Georgia Tech, uh, and you have a lot of people uh, hatching things that are really product-driven, yep. ideation. And it's somewhere along the line, it's like knowing what they can do and knowing what they have to surround themselves. So in other words, you, you know, you see these folks that they're, product-driven, they become the CEO because it's their company, and then a few years later, they're head of product again, or they're head of marketing, and that's okay because, you know, they're not necessarily coming in with the interest of running the company. Maybe they are, but also do they have the skill sets to to do that? And then, you know, the thing I'm a big believer in is is uh, uh, BHAGs have a big, hairy, audacious goal, yeah. and then make sure you have real measurable steps. Uh, you know, everybody talks about KPIs. I've been doing KPIs for, you know, key performance indicators for a number of years. Uh, and, uh, I think that's really important. And measurements are important, even though there's now, even in leadership circles, like our performance standards, a good thing or a bad thing. But I, I'm big on believing that what gets measured gets done. It's always been that way. And if people know really what's expected of them, now I'm talking about their team that they can go a long way. So, you know, have a good plan, have have good goals, and then also make sure that you can execute on those by having KPIs, measurements, and really follow through with that. And then, you know, you're going to be successful. Yeah, right. And then it's, it's just really about the execution of it. And that, right. that's where a lot of the things that you guys work with other people on is the execution part of that puzzle, making sure the leadership team is there and, and building that culture of, of excellence, right? Exactly. And, you, you know, you said the magic word in terms of culture. We always say here, it was, I think it's Peter Drucker, but culture eats strategy for breakfast. And, uh, you know, we say that a lot here and we see that a lot here with the people that we work with. 
because, um, you know, they could have the greatest strategy in the world, but if people don't want to work for them, then you might as well just hang it up. Um, and so that's, that's really important. And we do a lot of work on the soft skill side, yeah. empathy, emotional mastery, uh, you know, how to give and get feedback, all those kinds of things, which I, I think over time have become more important, um, versus the old days. And I was guilty of this or gu- didn't feel like I was being guilty at the time, but command and control versus, yeah. you know, this balance between respect and responsibility that, uh, is really important now or, you know, you have the quiet quitters and the great resignators and, and all the other things that are happening. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, I, I mean, just because those are very topical right now, right? There was right. so much press about the quiet quitters and, and the right. resignation. And so it, is that real? Did that, is that something that most businesses are still struggling with or, or did struggle with? Or was that more, you know, just news headlines uh, grabbing uh, stories or? That's a great question. And there's always been quiet quitters and great resigners. I think they came in mass when the, the market was really hot. Yeah. And uh, I, I do think and be interesting that, you know, your listeners, how they feel about this. But I don't think there's the stickiness uh, that we had generations in the past, you know, and, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But people are more apt to say, OK, I'm just going to leave and find another job or I've got another job. Um one of the things that happened is, you know, in, in my early management college days, uh, you know, learning that money's a maintainer and not a motivator. Uh, but then you read, you know, people are getting $50,000 bonuses or whatever the number is to leave. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I, I like to think, well, that's only going to last about a week, you know, <laughs> once they get into the job, because all the other things are going to be like, what's the culture? What's your boss like? What are your peers like? Those things are all, all become a lot more important. But there was, I think there was more of that. And then it became a lot of hype also. And it seems like it's slowed down now because the, the you know, the, even though in, in the U.S. there's, you know, still 3.5 unemployment or something, but, um, I talk to a lot of the staffing firms and some of them are like 50% of what they were a year ago. So it's, uh, it's slowing down a bit in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think this is, uh, one of the things that we don't know what AI is going to do yet in terms of the workforce. Right. And so, uh, my stance on that is that we're going to have quite an upheaval, uh, there in terms of people, you know, getting replaced by some AI uh, tools eventually, but then yeah. so retrain, there's going to be new opportunities and everything else. Uh, but that upheaval, I think, is going to create a lot of uncertainty amongst the the, the workforce. And so I, I think that's going to mean that you're going to have more people uh, or, or fewer people, I guess, looking elsewhere. <laughs> I'm yeah. really happy to have their jobs that they have. That's my gut, but I'm not sure if that's going to. No, I, th- I think you're right. And, you know, it depends on the industry and all uh, in terms of, you know, how much that's, that's going to impact, but AI will impact all of them. It'll just be a matter of, um, you know, the marketplace and the hot market. But I do think the Z's and the millennials, are more apt to um, take a flyer, try something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then maybe the boomers and uh, you know generations after that for a while. So. Yeah, and so we're obviously seeing that shift, right? In terms of, and every generation has that, where there's a, a different uh, culture that emerges with each generation. 
And so the leadership skills that one needs to have in each of those uh, generations is going to be slightly different. So you talked a little bit about how, you know, in the past you could, you know, command and control a little bit more. Now it's a lot more uh, collaborative and, and, and potentially democratic in the way that you approach things and so on. I, I'm curious, is there anything else like when you are coaching other people or your firm is coaching other leaders uh, who are trying to deal with um, you know, the, the, the Z's and the millennials. And then also now on top of that, you know, this work from home shift that yeah. really occurred and is still being embraced by a lot of companies. So what, what are you finding, I guess, in terms of the uh, best advice that you could give to people, leaders in businesses trying to navigate that? Well, first of all, no one size doesn't fit all. It never has, but I think it's more yeah. prevalent now. And this is the first time, I guess, in our history that there's like five generations or so in the in the marketplace at the same time mm-hmm. uh, working. And so um, I learned probably maybe five or six years into my CEO roles at different companies that um, – you, not not everybody's the same and you, you you know you can't have one set of standards for everybody it's really trying to understand uh what's going to motivate people and each person's different or each group's different but it's even each person's different so yeah. you know yeah. some per- people might be working for a raise and others are working for being able to work from home and others want you know more respect or an opportunity to see a path to the next level. So trying to figure that out is, uh, is, is really, uh, important in terms of, uh, being able to keep your staff, keep your staff motivated. And then we get, uh, Lance, we get a lot of interesting things. Uh, first of all, you know, we, we're coaching just part of our business is coaching leadership and we say leaderships at any, every level. It's not just the CEO. Yep. We are coaching some of the top CEOs, but we're coaching about 300 people all over the world, pretty much, you know, now and over the past couple of years. And a lot of them are high potentials that are taking a new new role. And so the company wants them to make sure they're ready. So we go through a whole process. Uh, but when we hear about challenges, which maybe are about 15% of our business, uh, we call that coaching for personal change. And this is where people have blind spots. And so I hear a lot of the same things. One is, uh, the one that seems to come up most of late is they're always the smartest person in the room. So they're, they're the first one, you know, and people say, yeah, they, they may be, but we don't want to work with that person, you know, or they don't have executive presence. Uh, they don't have the, you know, panache or the executive presence to feel like they're leaders or they're not very good at getting feedback or giving feedback. So there's a lot of things identified, which are, we have about 30 coaches that are really good at then, you know, taking that. Uh, we do a lot of assessments because we're uh, the our founders of PhD psychology, our co-founders of PhD psychology, psychologist. So he'll look at uh, you know things like the Myers Briggs and the Hogans and all these different assessments. So the first few sessions that we have are all about self awareness. Then they have a three three sixty if you're familiar with that. So this is where your your boss, your peers. And your direct reports tell you what they think, basically. And we've standardized it. It's our own program. And we've done it with thousands of people. And that can be really eye-opening because there might be a difference between good or bad, what they think people will say and what people actually say. 
And so we, we have to be careful with that because after that, we have to kind of walk them through a process, say, okay, this is where you stand today. Let's see in six months if we can improve that. And then we'll do a follow-up 360 as an example. So those are some of the things in terms of that that pop out now in terms of, but it's all about understanding and working with people uh, at the end of the day. But I like the TurkNet model that they created, which is integrity at the base and then this balance of respect and responsibility. Because if you're all on the respect side, you still have accountability and focus on the whole and getting the job done and growing the company and all. Um, so, um, yeah, I'll stop there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting just the way that, uh, like you said, ev- every situation is different. And this is the problem that I see with other uh, leadership kind of coaching programs is that they want to have, you know, run everybody through the same, the same thing, but it, it doesn't work that way. Uh, no. Every situation is different. Every leader or, or prospective leader needs to needs to be coached in in the things that they're lacking because they might be off the charts in some aspects, but just not having, like you said, the, the ability to command the room and, and, and have that executive yeah. leadership kind of quality too. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you make a good point. I haven't said it exactly like this, but as you, as you bring it up, I mean, it's all about the person understanding who they are. Yeah, And then also what other people think of them, that those two things will take you a long way, at least from a standpoint of awareness. And then once there's awareness, hopefully there's an opportunity and an openness to um, bring them to the next level. Uh, yeah. we, we call it unleash their potential. So unleash their full potential. So, yeah. uh, and, you know, as long as they're open to it, uh, but it's difficult for people to hear negative things about themselves. I, I mean, I 100%. think that's human nature. Yeah. yeah 100%. <laughs> so I, I'm curious, are you guys in a uh, work remotely scenario or are you all in the office? How, how do you guys structure your your business? Yeah. So we, we have a hybrid uh, model and that's something that I started. Um, I, I, I like because we're a relatively small team. We're boutique. We can serve big companies. I mean, we're working with UPS and Comcast and wow. a lot of big companies, but, um, but we're, I like because, and this might be my own bias, but because we're small, there's a lot of collaborative activities that people are together. So basically it's one or two days a week remote and the other three days, uh, they'd be in the office. And that seems to work out pretty well. We have some people that don't want to do remote at all. And we probably have a few that would like to do remote, uh, all the time. But, yeah. uh, one of the things that's important for the entrepreneurs is, you know, be upfront with people in terms of what your culture is and what's expected. Uh, I have run into situations and seen situations where you kind of, because you want the person, let's say, for example, you don't really tell them clearly what the expectation is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So they're like, Oh, I thought I could work at home all the time. Well, no, we told you when you came in that it's, we're hybrid and this is the way it works. So, I mean, it, that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Transparency, right? Clarity is kind yes. of, as they say. So I, I'm yeah. kind of curious too, though. So I'm seeing a bunch of uh, businesses, even, even Zoom, Zoom, the, the technology company, yeah. the video conferencing company now is bringing, you know, demanding that their, their staff starts returning to the office, which is 
which is kind of funny, actually. (laughs) But but, so this transition then as to, okay, so we, some companies have said, we've we've tried this, we find that maybe this isn't working as well. How do you lead through that without really disrupting the culture? And and like having like what you just stated there, uh, people feeling because so many people got hired through the pandemic who it has been, you know, from home only in a lot of cases, or maybe just one or two days expected. And now companies are switching back. How do you effectively lead that without destroying your culture? Yeah. You know, the number one thing is I think the why, you know, why you're doing it. Um, Yeah. I've, I've been at a lot of companies recently that are, bringing some of the people back or, you know, I had, I had an experience with a young man that uh, was an inter, uh, intern and then he took a job in a company and, you know, kind of really wanted to go forward quickly, not unusual. And he's like, well, I'm told I'm being in the office, but nobody else is in there except for the other interns. So <laughs> we're not really learning anything from them. I don't have a mentor. I don't have a sponsor. So I think there has to be the why is, is the best thing. Try to try to be open and upfront uh, about it. And um, and you know, I, I everybody has to be. And I have to do this myself sometimes. Check myself, but we have to be more flexible uh, yeah. in terms of not looking to everybody the same. You know, and and maybe some people, you, you know, that that we want women to have opportunities to grow and, and get through the glass ceiling. And, uh, but they have, you know, they're single mom and they have three kids under five and, you know, it's going to be hard for them to work at home. So are you going to make an exception and are people going to understand that? Probably other people in the company I've seen from my experience are more open to, you know, you think, well, Sally Sue's working from home, so everybody should be able to work from home. But I think people are more understanding about the circumstances if you can, you know, make it clear that there are rules or whatever. Well, and that's a really interesting point. I think that we definitely do forget that. I know I do with my business and my staff at times where fair doesn't mean necessarily it's the same for everybody, right? Fair could be like your example there where it's Sally Sue has these commitments that home commitments that are unique. And so fair for her so that she can, you know, show up for work and, and be the contributor to the team that you need her to be. Uh, So empowering her to do that. If that's the fairness bar that you're trying to set, then her work arrangement and her hours and everything else can be very different than everybody else's or other people's yeah. team, right? Because that would be I a agree. fair thing to do. So it just depends on yeah. what, how you're qualifying or what you're using as the fair uh, measuring stick or, or. Yeah. 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 I do. I do. I am a bullish on for most companies having time where people are together, whatever that means and not being, you know, on just Zoom and what have you, just really having a chance to walk into somebody else's office and have a sit down or have a quick meeting, you know, just to brainstorm or whatever it might be. So I I think it's going to, we're going to all end up in some kind of hybrid uh, nature and probably work in a four day work week. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm seeing that. I was telling my staff the other day, I said, yeah, five years from now, it's probably going to be a four-day work week. It, there's definitely a lot to chatter about it, right? There's a lot of companies yeah. out there that are experimenting in that area. Yeah. So, and I, I heard on the news, once they start it, nobody's gone back. But I think there's not just because it's good, but how do you go back and say, okay, it's going to be five days again? Now that would be tough. Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah. A big shift. And, and I guess. Same advice probably that you had before is it's got to come from a place of why, I suppose, if you're going to really try to yeah. get people inside from that. So I exactly. let's pivot a little bit and just go into the entrepreneurial journey that you've been on. And so, um, you, you know, I think we talked about this already a little bit at the top where you're you weren't one of the founders of this business. You came in a little over five years ago or right around five years ago um, and you bought in the company. And at that point, you said, I'm here for five years and only five years. I plan to transition out. Now, that is really unique. I think I haven't I can't think of out of the 260 plus entrepreneurs who I've talked to <laughs> who have done that, where they have bought into a company and said, I have an exit plan, a very, very specific exit plan. Um, and so talk to me about why that was the decision that you had at the beginning and then how you're managing through that uh, because that I would think would be difficult being that you have an ownership stake in the business as well. Yeah. And I am a minority owner. So the, the founders still have a majority share, but uh, yeah, I, I'd love to do different things. So I knew myself well enough when I looked at kind of the, what the job was, what the expectations were that I didn't want to make a longer term commitment. And it's been pretty consistent with, uh, what I ran, uh, the technology association, as I said, for 12 years, but at year 11, they, talk to me about re-upping for another five. And I'm like, no, guys, 12 is going to be it. So let's start working over the next year. And that was great for me because I made the announcement that I'd be leaving in a year. And it was great for the company because they had a year to find somebody. And then we had about a three-month overlap. So it's been pretty consistent with me, at least in my as I matured, I guess, in my last few jobs to say, I really only want to do this for five years. Uh, there was some expectation, I would say, that I thought, uh, and probably the founders thought at the time that they wanted to sell, but they it didn't take me too long to realize that they really didn't want to sell. So I just yeah. kind of, because I had a pitch deck and the whole bit, and I, I put that aside and said, look, let me just grow it. And then uh, the next step was uh, I had a guy, Tim Huff, who's now the president. We just made him president a couple months ago that we brought in about a year ago. Good background, Army Ranger, military background, technology background. I ran into him through, uh, more than ran into him. I got to know him through when I was running TAG. And I, and he had a coach about five years ago and fell in love with coaching. Hmm. And he was thinking about his future. And I'm like, why don't you just come work for me as a VP? And then when I leave, I'm sure the founders will love you. Uh, you can take over the role. So uh, fortunately, it all worked out. Uh, they really really like him. Uh, he's very good to work with. Um, I have a year to just kind of go through because he's never been a president and CEO before to go through. And, you know, he, he says like kindly that I'm mentoring him. So we're bringing him along. Sure. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know if everybody would have this kind of smooth, but I think it's fair to the company if you can do it to let them know what you're thinking. 
Um, I don't know if young, uh, I don't want to be biased, but I don't know if young people could do that as easily. <laughs> like, yeah, I want to take this job. I'm only going to be here for two years. Uh, but, you know, for somebody that's been around as long as I have and been CEO of a number of companies, it's like, I think I can help you. I think I can do this. Uh, we'll take it to the next level. We'll serve more people. We'll have better, you know, we'll have a good infrastructure and then, I'll leave and I'll still have ownership. So I'll be keeping an eye on it and helping out where I can because I want them to grow and totally yeah. make money. And yeah. So how did you know five years was what you wanted? It was just a little bit of PFA, I guess, pull from air, <laughs> uh, where I, it felt like five would, you know, three isn't enough. Yeah. And seven seemed like an awful long time to me. <laughs> uh, so I just, <laughs> yeah, so I just said five would be, I think, you know, we've grown almost 200%. So it's been great yeah. and uh, really created um, more diversity. And we talk about this, we have time, but, you know, more diversity of services and all. And uh, did a very good job of building the brand. Uh, so, you know, when I first got there, we wouldn't have any inbound inquiries, people Googling you or whatever, saying, hey, I see you're ahead in women in leadership or whatever it might be. And now pretty much three or four times a week, we're getting inbound inquiries from all over the world about different programs that we have. And we're sending people with Jamaica, uh, you know, different uh, continents, but also doing a lot across the U.S., yeah, I could get on board as a coach for you if you're sending me off to Jamaica. Boy, boy. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so I am curious though. So, the are you the first uh, CEO then that was hired uh, by the founders, or uh, like I'm just curious at what point did they take off those hats, uh, those roles? The yeah. Uh, anybody's work with founders, it's really interesting. This is my second tour with founders. I'm still involved with the other company also, but, um, it, they, uh, they're still active. They're very, uh, active, uh, but they would say they're aging, you know, aging out to some degree. And they wanted to have more time with the grandchildren and just to be able to pick and choose what they wanted to do in the company. So Bob's a coach and he's still coaching some people and Lynn is more project oriented now. So she'll get involved with different projects that she wants to get involved with. Um, and yeah, I'm the first person they've hired outside. So one of the things for people working for founders that, uh, I, I learned mostly here is you have to understand and it's better to understand before you get into it, but I don't know if the founders would know or the person coming in would really be honestly know. But you have to understand what's their what what things are important to them. Yep. And sometimes it's it's surprising, you know, if you were to Lance do something for your company, it's like, yeah. Uh, a simple example, I don't think the founders would mind, but I, I came up with a uh, theme for the business cards and all, I wanted a tagline because we didn't have a tagline and it was helping leaders rise. And I told the founders and they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. About three months later, it's like Bob and I really don't like that theme. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, well we invested a little bit, not a lot of money, but is that a hill to die on? You know, am I, is it something really, you know, that essential? So uh, I said, well, okay, what do you, have you thought about it? And uh, they said, yeah, we like unleashing potential. 
um, I'm like, great, we'll just change everything to that. So, but I, I wouldn't have guessed that that would have been something that would have mattered that much to them. Yeah. Uh, but it's their company, it's their baby and they, you know, they built it from, you know, 30 years doing it. So, uh, over time. And even I think when I look back, when, when I leave the official full-time work, um, that I'll, I'll be thinking about like, how do you understand really what the founders, you know, what they built? Because they really built a company that they want to impact people's lives, do good things. And doesn't matter how much money we make or how much profit we make. If we don't keep those things that they really important to them, then they're not going to be as happy as they would be. Yeah. Yeah. Purpose, purpose driven, right? Um, purpose driven. Yeah. As a lot of, lot of entrepreneurs are when they're building their businesses or establishing them. And so I, I'm curious actually if we could just flip the analysis of this, I guess, around a little bit as opposed to going, okay, so this is what a CEO needs to understand when they're working with, uh, with founders, because most of our audience are made up of founders. So right. what, and a lot of them would probably uh, be in a position or are thinking about bringing in a CEO to take on right. now the next growth stage of their business. So what should they know? when they are looking at that transition, like how do they set their CEO up for success? Yeah, I love that question. And we could spend probably an hour on that, but it is (laughs) because I thought a lot about it and, you know, things that I probably could have done better uh, things, you know, certainly the company has done amazing, but you know, I, if they were to ask me, they would need to understand, the entrepreneurs need to understand the CEO style, what they've done, what they, uh, what, what turns them on. So it's a, it's an equal kind of opportunity thing. And for me, uh, if I were to describe myself, I'm, uh, hard charging. I like to make decisions quickly. I, I, you know, if I had, I would say, if, you know, if you have the basic information, just go for it, you know, go forward. And that's served me well over the years. Um, and, you know, so we added 25 coaches. We've added a bunch of different programs. We've brought in some team members. We've, you know, we've done a lot more marketing and communication. Um, and, I would say, and they would say it all worked, but it's just a matter of them understanding what, you know, what makes me tick and why I've been successful in the same, you know, it's a, it's, it's like a marriage. It's, it's a balance, but you know, you don't want to go into a marriage without knowing the other person. And probably there's, uh, I think for me and for them, the, the things that, that we like is we're both purpose-driven, we really want to make a difference in the world, um, the things that um, the biggest challenge would be, and they'd probably say that, is uh, their desire to still be involved and engaged in, to some degree, and my desire to be the president and CEO, and what I see in my head is that, you know, those responsibilities of not having to pick up the phone and say, Hey, what do you think of this? Or what do you think of that? And I don't, I don't, I'm saying that they're wrong or I'm wrong. It's just, I think for entrepreneurs listening in, it's like, if you're going to pick a CEO, you spend enough time with them to make sure, you know, the kind of questions aren't like, Oh, I see your track record. You've always built things. You do a great job. People, you know, customers love what you do. NPS scores are great, but uh, yeah, there's more questions like, what role 
can I play as the founder? What role do you expect me to play? How do we work together? All those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Good questions for sure. Because I think that's one of the biggest, I would think, challenges that founders are going to have is letting go of their baby, essentially, right? And not being in their micromanaging and wearing some of those hats, like letting go of that control and just trusting. So just like what you were talking about with the tagline as an example. So your tagline may be just as good or better than what their tagline was. Uh, But it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you as the founder, do you want to be bogged down with that minutia or do you want to really empower your CEO? And I think it's going to, it has to be really clear as to what your desires are going to be as the founder, um, as you step back from that and what that, and paint a really clear picture and then stick to that. It's just like what you were talking about in the recruitment where we maybe are promising things or, or, or not, you know, not yeah. really being as transparent as we need to. Um, and I think with founders, I know for myself, I would fall victim to just not putting enough prep time into really thinking through what my role is going to be with the CEO in place and where I need to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a balance and the founders have done a good job with me. It, it's just, it's, I think it's in every situation, um, the past founder that I'm still friends with and working with, and we're, you know, we're doing a great job there too. It's like, he's a young guy. Um, and so if he's not running the day-to-day business, what the heck's he going to be doing? <laughs> and, uh, and it's also has, you know, had family members involved. So, um, you know, I might have ideas on a Friday and the family has dinner on a Sunday and on Monday things come back very different than what we thought on Friday. And that, you know, again, that's me learning too of, of how to deal with that. But I think, yeah, it, you make a really good point that, uh, the founders probably ask themselves and probably should say, like, I'm, I'm looking at another, I've accepted one role, but I'm looking at another role. I love to cobble these things together and I'm having uh, breakfast tomorrow. And the reason for the breakfast is to say, okay, I want to understand really what my role is and what your role is. Uh, yeah. cause that's another founder. Uh, I'll be a leader in, uh, you know, a managing executive or whatever in one of the uh, areas, but it's like, you know, now I've done this twice. I want to make sure we understand like where my, I, I was in the early jobs because you usually have a boss, you know, I was president, but I had a board or whatever it is. And you usually start with some boundaries as the CEO. Mm-hmm. And then you try to push those boundaries out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, but you have to do it in a good way and, and tactfully. And, and I think company, you know, I've worked with places that the boards, boards have been great. Like the Y when I ran the YMCA's in Chicago and, and with uh tag um, that once they see that things are going well and they trust you, then they uh, give you a lot more space, but that's very different than founders. So, you know, boards of directors don't, ha- don't come in with the, some people joke like they, you know, they put their hat on the door when they come in and they leave their brains on the door at the same time. I, I, I've always had great boards, so I'm not, not saying that, but I think boards don't have that stake 
maybe paid boards, but I'm talking about nonprofit boards now that they, you know, they want to help you. They're there to help you, but they don't want to be, if it's a big nonprofit, they don't want to be running the day to day. So I love those operations because it's like, okay, year one was great. Go ahead and run with the ball and let us know when you need us. Um, yeah. Founders, it's never going to be like that. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's definitely different. And I'm also really curious, too, um, if you have any advice for, for founders right now who are considering this. You, uh, it sounds like when you come in as a CEO for these companies, at least of, of late and, and going forward, you're taking an ownership stake in these businesses. Uh, yes, it's a minority stake, but it's still it's a stake. So how important do you think it is? What advice would you give to founders around that? Uh, is that necessary? Uh, is it something that you feel, you know, needs to be in place so that you have the full attention and commitment of that CEO or or what are your thoughts there? It's to me, it's important. I don't know if everybody would come in as a CEO and president, but for me, it's important. And I think it should be important for the founders because it's like, you know, as we grow, we want to feel a part of that. And I don't just want to have a salary. You know, I want to have, in fact, that's one of the discussions I'm having soon um, that, you know, let me grow out. I'll, I'll say this out loud too, too much out loud. Now it's with you. I guess I am saying it out loud, but I'll, <laughs> I'll take less. I'll take less salary and more ownership, you know, because yeah. I know I can grow things. Yeah. So give me half of what you're going to give me, but give me, uh, you know, if we grow X amount, then give me X amount of the company or something that shows that we're, you know, benefiting for the growth or even look at, you know, how the compensation set up where, um, you sell a million dollar project. Um, you still don't get your base salary. What, what do you get with that for, you know, for the growth of that company? So some way I, for me, at least it's like really important to see if there's some kind of, uh, ownership. Uh, whether it's uh, own a piece of the company or take advantage of the growth in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, because you could that could be achieved through through bonuses, uh, percentage yeah. commissions, profit sharing, you know that kind of stuff, right? That you could do yeah. without giving up ownership. Uh, but in your case, you're asking for ownership, or or that's what's being offered, whichever that is. So um, I, yeah. I'm just curious your your opinion on that. Um, it, because especially like in this situation of the five-year exit as well, right. so there's a part of me that's kind of like as the founder, I'd be like, okay, well, if you're only going to be here for five years, um, let's just do some sort of profit sharing through that period of time. So make sure that you're compensated for the growth that you're bringing in without me having to give up a big chunk or a small chunk, whatever, a chunk of my business in the long term when you're gone uh, as well. And so I... So I'm just yeah. wondering there, like any advice uh, for founders, because I could see a lot of founders thinking that way. Uh, but obviously yeah. for you, I think you would be leaning more onto the other. It's like, I'm I'm investing into this business and sure, I'm going to be exiting in five years, but I'm still going to be connected I'm, and it's going to continue to grow because of the things that I put in place, I guess is what your argument would be, right? Yeah. And also I think if they, you know, so one of the things about owning something that, may never sell as you just have ownership of something that may never sell. So you kind of want to want to have both, you know, and here, yeah. uh, you know, there's, there's a percentage of sales, uh, growth. I mean, it's very fair what we're doing. Uh, and I'll be open. Like for me, it was uh two and a half percent ownership each year. So by the fourth year, I own my, you know, certain percent, 10% of the company. Um, uh, 
just to be fully transparent. But, you know, to yeah. me, that was fair. And, uh, and then, you know, if they never sell, uh, there's still disbursements and all, but, um, uh, you know, I, I think we took them to a place where they're well positioned. Uh, the founders have to, you know, it's irrelevant if the founder says, well, I'm going to be doing this for the next 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then, then you have to think about, well, I'm going to be dead in 30 years. So you know, <laughs> it's not going to help me a lot. Well, I'll help my family maybe somewhere along the line. Yeah. That, that's the key there, I guess, is uh, the lesson here, folks, is that you want to, if you're going to go into the ownership part, make sure they're really old uh, people. So you <laughs> Right. Right. So uh, I, I could talk about this forever and uh, we might have to bring you back uh, for it. Yeah, that's fun. Because we didn't get as far into the journey as what I wanted to in the future. But, yeah. Um, let's uh, wrap things up here real quick by if you could send a letter back in time to your younger self, as you've been through this journey in the public sector, doing things, leadership, CEO, uh, you know, president roles, uh, some ownership roles as well. What advice would you have given your younger self? What would you tell young Tino? Yeah, I would say that, uh, I need to be, I would, I would, should have been more patient sometimes that I really should have been a better listener in terms of understanding, you know, what's going on, uh, understanding the landscape more and, uh, not always being a bull in the China shop to get things done. Um, and you know, that would serve me well. Uh, patience would serve, serve me well. Um, it's just one of the things I, I think that, you know, is, if you're young and you're hungry, you're out of college, you're, you know, I was ex-athlete, so division one wrestler. So that already put me in a space. It's like, okay, I have to be the best. I have to try to be the best <laughs> and, uh, I have to get there fast. And, um, so, you know, all those things were, yeah. yeah, slow down, be more patient. Um, listen to people. Uh, yeah. Keep your purpose driven part. I did all the way through college, working for a home for neglected kids and things like that. So that's always been important. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You know, I really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks. This was fun. Yeah. Just your, your experience is, is great. And I think that a lot of people really have benefited from uh, the frankness of uh, the discussion around that, bringing a CEO in and, and so on and trying to make that work because that is definitely something that weighs on a lot of entrepreneurs' minds. So for everybody who's listening today, if you enjoyed this episode, you can find all of our archived episodes over at amplifyyourbusiness.ca. And you can also uh, listen to the podcast on all your major podcasting platforms, your favorite ones out there. Just search Amplify Your Business. You're going to find us there. Thank you again, Tino. Really appreciate it. And for everybody who's listening, have a prosperous day.